Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Providence Church Podcast. This message is the first in a series about David. Pastor Dwight Lefevre talks about the parallels between David's biblical battle against Goliath and our own earthly lives. For more information about us, check out our website at provchurch.net. That's provchurch.net. Let's get into it. Well, if you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times. And it is that compelling story of the underdog, right? Everybody loves the underdog, that, that overmatched team that somehow beats all the odds to knock off the overwhelming favorites. I don't know how many of you saw the, the classic, I know we're dating myself here, but the Hoosiers, the movie The Hoosiers, about that high school basketball team in Indiana that won the state championship back in the early 1950s. Hickory High School, right? Hickory High. And Gene Hackman played the coach. If you saw the movie, you know Gene Hackman played that coach. And they're, they're now moving from their little high school gym with some wooden bleachers and a couple hundred people now to the Butler Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. And there's 6,000 seats in this arena. It's huge for these kids. They're overwhelmed. They walk out on the floor like, what? What are we doing here? Right? How can we possibly win this thing? And so he does, the coach does a brilliant move. He takes a tape measure. And he marks off the distance from the basket to the foul line. And he says, what's the distance, boys? And the guy that has the tapes at 15 feet. Okay. Then he takes the, the couple of the kids. He has the shortest player on the team climb on the shoulders of the tallest player and gives him the tape measure to measure how high the rim is from the floor. How high? 10 feet, coach. Exactly. Point made. He says, I believe that, gentlemen, I believe that you'll find these are the exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. And so the team, they laugh a little bit. The tension eases and it propels them on and they end up winning the state final. It's a, it's a dramatic moment, of course, in that story. When most people think about the ultimate underdog story, their minds run back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it's that classic story about the shepherd boy named David against the champion named Goliath. And it is, on paper, the classic mismatch. This guy from Gath, this, he's, Goliath is over nine feet tall, according to the biblical count, the measurements. In fact, I was reading this week, someone even estimated he could have been even as high as nine feet, nine inches, like touching almost the rim. Talk about an NBA superstar, right? I mean, we're talking about this guy, you don't, he didn't have to go very far to dunk it, you know, just off the top of his head, right there. Um, he is massive, uh, he has a, a bronze helmet that he wears on top of his head. So even a couple more inches go on top of the helmet. He wears a coat of armor that is also made of bronze. It weighs about 125 pounds. I don't know how much David weighed. He was uh, probably a teenager at that point, maybe 16, 17, 18. I don't know, somewhere in there. And uh, if he was a buck 50, I don't know. But, you know, he, 125 pounds of armor Goliath suits up in. He wears bronze greaves on his legs. They are the protection from his, for his shins and his legs. He was, he's, so if the guy comes in low, he's going to hit the bronze. You know, it's the ultimate shin guards, if you will. Uh, he has a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a, a weaver's rod. Now, I don't know how many of you are weaver. Like, it's, I mean, we're talking about a weaver's rod, thick, 
right? In fact, the, the iron point that was at the end of that uh, rod was 15 pounds just itself. The, the tip of the spear weighed 15 pounds. He had a shield bearer that went out ahead of him, the, the equipment manager, if you will. And here comes in the other corner the little shepherd boy, the, the errand boy, the guy that his dad said, hey, take this bread up to the lines and see how the, your brother, your, the fighting men are doing. And while you're out of here, here's some cheese. You know, give these 10 blocks of cheese to the commanders and bless them, encourage them, find out how things are going up there. So he's, he's sent on an errand, right? Here, here's, what, here's what I want you to, to see. I mean, the, the, the common wisdom is David has no chance. But here's what I want you to see this morning. This is not a story about an underdog showing great courage to defeat the giant. I mean, that's what we typically see it as, we think of it as. John Bloom even says this. He says, the popular moral of the story is this. Get out there and face down your giant because the heroically courageous come out on top. That's not really the story. In fact, that's not at all what this story is about. In fact, the, the true underdog is Goliath, as we're going to read through this this morning, because he is in the arena with the living God. And so the living God is going to fight this battle. And Goliath, and honestly, Goliath doesn't have much of a chance at all as the story unfolds. So let's read it together. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we're headed this morning. It is a classic. I mean, last week we're here for the resurrection and the, the hope, the victory that we have in Christ. God wins the battle. He defeats sin and death. Jesus raises from the dead. It is the triumph of all triumphs. But God's been triumphing for a long time. He's always been winning. And in 1 Samuel 17, he wins again. And uh, so let's look together at some of the details here this morning. Verse 8 is where we're going to pick it up. I've already given you some of the details there earlier about Goliath and his armor and how big and all that. Verse 8 says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. They're, they're across from each other on the hillsides, opposing hillsides. There's a valley, Valley of Eli, in between them, a battlefield, if you will, a flat place. But they're, they're, the armies are camped down either side of this valley, and they're opposing one another, lined up with one another. And Goliath comes out from the Philistine camp, and he was over. Uh, he comes out and says, Why do you come out and line up for a battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Pick someone. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were trembling at the sight of this massive man-giant. Now David, verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He was the errand boy. 
Let's send him out. We need a little, a little, a little job done. For 40 days, verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand and made his challenge. And now Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are, see how they are. Bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. This is what they did every day. We get dressed, we go out, we pretend, we give the hoorah, the battle cry that we're going to go out, and then nothing happens because the Goliath comes out and starts to issue this challenge. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Pretty good package. I mean, the offer's pretty nice. You get a lot of wealth, you get the daughter's hand in marriage, and you get tax-exempt status for your family. I mean, come on, right? David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Right? This isn't now, this isn't Saul's army. This isn't Israel's army. This is the living God's army. David sees it. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, here's the thing. You will fight many battles in the course of your life. And if you live long enough, you're going to fight a lot of battles. And your battles, sometimes when you're faced, depending on what you're facing down, it might, it might seem to you like a giant like, how could I possibly ever win this? How could I possibly ever overcome this? How could we possibly ever make a way through this? I, you might not be able to see it depending on the battle that you're facing in any given moment of your life. But what I love about this story, and, and, and again, we're going to spend the next number of weeks looking at uh, what David teaches us. And there's something that comes out. I pray that you'll see this with fresh eyes this morning. It's a familiar story, obviously. But there's truth here that as you're fighting, as I'm fighting, that we can glean from this morning. And the first thing I want to share with you, number one this morning, is, first of all, seeing the battle lines clearly. Number one key in terms of winning the fight is seeing the battle lines clearly. The bottom line, and David sees it really well, this is God's fight. This is God's fight. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine has defied the armies of the living God. 
I mean, he come, he's coming at this with maybe some fresh eyes. All these men have been lined up, out, back, out, back every day. The same thing happens. They get up, they pretend, they get dressed. We're going to go out today. We're going to go. For, and then the, 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 the challenge comes. Do you want to go? No. Do you want to go? No. Let's go back. We're going back. We're going back to the tent where it's safe. But David comes into this thing. And he's, what's going on here? What are you guys, what are you guys missing here? This is, this is, this is, this is God's fight. We, but have you forgotten who God is? That's in essence what David is saying to them. We belong to him. God made a covenant with us. He made a promise to us. And he's a covenant making, covenant keeping God. And that's who fights for us. Why would you allow this prideful brute to stand there day after day after day after day for 40 days and drag the name of your God through the mud every morning and every evening? Why? The army of Israel and Saul, who was its head as the king, I mean, Saul was the most likely person on paper to fight the giant. He should have been out there. He, he was, the, as if you remember his anointing back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the Bible tells us that he was a head taller than everybody else around him. I mean, he was, a, some speculate he was over six feet tall. That's the most, the average, apparently the average height of the Israelites as I was, as I was, five, three, five. Saul's a foot taller, head taller than that. He's the guy that should be out there on the line, but he's not. He's cowering in his tent. And so the army of Israel had grown accustomed to being defeated and feeling defeated. We can't do anything about this. We get dressed every morning. We line up. We hear Goliath bark out his challenge, and we run back to our tents again. And that was the pattern. And I'm wondering, is sometimes, is that the pattern for us? We get accustomed to just resign to defeat. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to ever get become different there's nothing that, that can be done and so part of our fight is seeing the battle lines clearly david was motivated by a passion and a concern for the glory of god's name and the contrast could not have been clearer for him we belong to the living god the God who measures the universe by the span of his hand. That God. He, measure, he can measure off time and space by the span of his hand. He can measure the whole universe. That's how big he is. And do you know who the Philistines worship? Not a living God. They worship a God, small g God, by the name of Dagon. And Dagon was a God with a fish head and the arms of a man. Scary God, stone. <laughs> and they worship Beelzebub, which means the Lord of the flies, or literally the dung beetle. They worship a dung beetle. The Philistines worship insects that crawl on dung. And that guy's defying the living God? Are you kidding me? That's the tone that they, I, that's the tone David's bringing to this encounter. Are you guys serious? Do you know who they worship and who we belong to? So he sees it very, very clearly. 
Here's the truth. If you compare Goliath's size to yours, you will get scared. And the solution is seeing correctly, seeing rightly. And David's, David compares Goliath's size to God's size. And so when David sees Goliath and he knows who his God is, he can say, Goliath, you're going down. <laughs> and you, you, you've got no chance. In fact, you're going to fall really hard because the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Right? There's that saying. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. You're going down, it's going to be hard. I love what Martin Luther said this back, you know, he's the great reformer. He said, with God, one is always a majority. <laughs> I love that. When you have God, you've got a majority. What about you? Have you learned how to see the battles that you are fighting through the correct lens? That you belong to God, you. That in fact, he is greater than and bigger than any enemy you face. And we talked about that last Sunday because, you know, the Bible says that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. No greater enemy. The last, Paul says he's the, death was the last great enemy. And so if death can't get you, what can? If death's not going to win in your life, then what can? And so the reality is whatever battle you're facing, and we face them, there's nothing that God cannot conquer. And even if it means death, you're going to win. <laughs> even, even if it means going to heaven, you're going to win. So there's something powerful at the root of that. So seeing the battle lines, first of all. Secondly, know which voices not to listen to. Let's read in verses 28 and following. Keep going. When, El when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert, those little lambs? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You want to see what's happening. You're not going to fight. You're just going to watch. Now what have, now what have I done? Verse 29, said David, can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and re reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. The king sent for him. And David said, said to Saul, look, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. He's a killing machine. And who are you? There are a couple of voices that try to dissuade David from taking on the fight that God is leading him into. Eliab is the oldest brother. And if you remember the story in chapter 16, the anointing of David and all when Samuel comes to the house and he says, hey, bring out your sons, Jesse. And they bring out the line. And Eliab's the first one. He's the oldest and so, of course, he should, be, he should be the one. The oldest son should be the, the one picked, but it's not him. It's not the next one. It's not the next one. It's not the, oh, hey, is there anybody else here? Oh, yeah, that little, our little runt brother, he's out with the little sheep, and that's what he does. He hangs out with the sheep. He, oh, bring him, bring him. 
and David comes in from the, from, the, from the pasture, and that's who Samuel anoints, the next king of Israel. So Eliab, very likely, as he's having this encounter, it's, uh, it's very likely that he has this smoldering jealousy brewing in his heart still because he's still ticked off about his little brother getting the treatment, right? So, what, kid, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Go back with your sheep. You, you're not a man. You can't fight this battle. And so Eliab carries that thing. I know your motives. You're conceited. Your heart is wicked, you just want to come and watch. Note the, the little brother syndrome. Even David, the great king of Israel, little brother syndrome there. Now what have I done? You know, now can, can I even speak? Right? He keeps asking around, what, what, what's going to be done for the one who, who removes this disgrace from Israel? And, you know, I was, as I was studying that this week, and one of the commentators made this suggestion, I thought it was really intriguing. It's not like, oh, yeah, the reward, the reward's going to be great. You know, get a wife, you get wealthy. But I don't think that the reward's what motivated David. It's more like he's asking to say, why hasn't anyone stepped up yet? What's going on around here? What's, what's, what, why, why isn't anyone having the courage to, knowing who fights for us, why hasn't anyone stepped to the line yet? The other voice that comes is the king, Saul, the guy who should be out there on the line fighting Goliath. You can't go out and fight this guy. I mean, he's a, he's a mercenary. He's a killing machine, as I said earlier. He's an experienced, strong, vicious, well-armored soldier. And you, you're only a boy. An errand boy brought the bread, bread and the cheese the point is, when you are facing your giants, you can't listen to the naysayers. Please hear that. There is bound to be people in your life who will try to discourage you from following God's leading in your life. When you're seeking to obey God, when you're seeking to follow God's direction in your life, there will be people that line up that don't want you to do that. And the enemy doesn't want you to do that. And he will send people who will speak noise into your ears and speak discouragement into your ears and your heart and try to discourage you from moving with God. Happens all the time. And I'm not talking about you pursuing your own victory or stirring up your own fight with someone or something. I'm talking about when God is working in your life and leading you to honor him in a, in a specific way, a specific quest. Maybe it is overcoming a habit that you haven't been able to beat, but God wants me and I can tell God is leading me to, 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 to get serious about this thing. And then the voice, you can't. You're, always, you're going to always be like, you can't. And there comes the voices. Are you kidding me? Or restoring a relationship that seems too far gone. And I know God wants me to move towards restoration and I know he wants me to forgive and I I'm, I'm, I'm want to follow him. I want to be obedient to him in that. But, but the voices come. You can, you should, and you can. And here comes the voices. And rebuilding your life after a failure. When you've fallen down and you desperately want to get back up and rebuild and, you, and it, just, it seems so hopeless and so much and too much and, and here comes the voices that like to see you down, that want to see you fail, that want to see you stay down. And they'll come. Don't listen to them. 
listen to the voice of God. And he will put people in your life who will encourage you and strengthen you and help you. So that's important. The next word here is stand in God on God's faithfulness. Verses 34 and following. But David said to Saul, after he, Saul tried to discourage him, David said to him, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I love to have heard that tone. Like, was it possible? He's like, okay, you go, David, you go. We're behind you, buddy. We got you. You go out there. I don't think he had, I don't think he thought David had a chance or a prayer. Go out. Yeah, okay. You, you go. You go, brother. David is coming to this battle, this fight, with the faithfulness of God at the forefront of his thinking. God has been with me the whole way, David says. I've seen his hand. He, was, he, he has established, God has established a track record of his faithfulness in my life. I've witnessed it. When I was watching my father's sheep, God helped me. When the lion came, I, God gave me the victory. I took the lion down with God's strength and God's help. When the bear came, I took the bear down. This uncircumcised Philistine, notice he doesn't ever call him a giant. This uncircumcised Philistine, that thing, he will be like one of them. Why? Because he has defied the armies of the living God, and this is God's fight. David was so clear. He is basing his present faith on his past victory. I've seen the Lord move in my life, King Saul. I've watched God before. And so I want to encourage you as you're facing your battles, are you paying attention to the track record of God in your life? and looking at what he has done in your life to bring you to this point. And I, for some of you, that may be a, a, a struggle. Some of you go, well, I mean, if, do, you, do you even pay attention and think about what God has done to get you here? It's a really good exercise in terms of your life with God, taking stock. What has God accomplished? What have I seen? Where are the markers along the way? And if you struggle, because you might, you might go, I've had a really crappy life and I've had a really terrible growing up and I was abused and I was rejected. And I'm the, you, might have, you might have some real stories of, set, of hurt and pain along the way. But I want to say this to you this morning. God's track record in your life starts at the cross. So if, if, if you've got this story that's all littered with pain and difficulty and your questions, go back to the cross and it starts there. His love for you starts there. His desire to, to know you and to set you free starts there. Your forgiveness starts there. Your freedom starts there. So whatever you've been battling, and, and you may have a rough 
rough track record in your life. But, but God, I know what you did at the cross for me. I know what you came to do to, to demonstrate your love for me. And while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Right? So, so never forget the power of the cross in terms of starting that track record. Have you ever stopped to look back at what God has done in your life? His fingerprints are all over your story. That's not to say you didn't have pain and disappointment or face rejection or had a terrible home life, but God has his hand on you. And he wants to bring healing into your life and restoration into your life and provision into your life and everyday grace into your life and people who love you into your life and hope in his presence into your life. That's God's intent, plan of God. So he, even if you haven't had the track record, he can start building it now. He can start moving you forward now and establishing his faith. But many of you already have it. Many of you already can look back and say, yeah, God did this and God did this and God did this. That's what David did. God did this and God did this. So when I'm looking across the, the valley at this guy, this uncircumcised guy over here, I got no worries. I know what God has already done. And my faith is built on that. When you face your next battle or the one you're in now, don't forget that if you belong to God, he's committed to you. And that's the source of your courage. David was courageous. Why was David courageous? Because of what God had done and who God was. He was firmly rooted in what God had already accomplished and who he knew God to be. And before I finish with this last point, one more truth about the battle here and this particular point. Your faith gets developed in small battles. So the lion and the bear were small skirmishes for David so that when he came to the moment of facing Goliath, he was already prepared. His faith had been built. God did this. God did this. So he also builds your faith in small battles. The Lord knows what you can take. He knows your threshold. We think we know our threshold, but we don't really know our threshold. If you think it's overwhelming and you're, you're not sure how or why or how, how it could be possible, look on the bright side. This is God's confidence that you are able to handle it. He is trusting you. He is teaching you. I love what Skip Heisig says. You're in training for Giants 101. The battles you face are helping. You're in training for Giants 101. Love that phrase. Okay. So that's the number three. And then the fourth, the fourth thing, the final thing here is wear your own armor. Verses 38 and 39 and 40. So then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic, tried walking around because he was not used to them. Let me try these out. And he says, I can't go in these. He said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. They don't fit me. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Saul makes the classic mistake. You need to go out and fight like me. You want to win? You got to fight like I fight. Wear my armor. But David can't go in Saul's armor. 
the liberating news in this is that you don't have to wear anyone else's armor. It's really good news. God chose David for the fight and had equipped him with what he needed to win. Courage based on God's faithfulness. Faith, confidence in God, and an ability to use a slingshot. I guarantee you when he lined up across from Goliath with that sling in his hand, it wasn't the first time he was swinging that thing. He had learned the backside of those, those wild places the, with the sheep when the predators came and the animals came. He, he knocked them off again and again. He was practicing. Oh, maybe he's sitting out there. Oh, I'm kind of bored. Let me just shoot cans. I don't know. what. It was. He, he figured out how to shoot that slingshot. So when the moment came, he was ready. God had equipped him, given him that season Here's the thing. God made you a certain way. And what works for one person doesn't always work for another. A method, a style, a way that you do things isn't how somebody else has to do them. So I'm going to encourage you today, fight with the armor God's given you. Don't fight it how I fight it or how Pastor Chuck fights it. Fight it how God's equipped you to fight it. He's given you what you need for the fight. If you're in Christ, you have what you need for the fight. And so walk in that. I mean, that, I love that. I mean, I was reading earlier this too. I, I didn't mention this, but that stone, as I was reading it, some people think those stones were about the size, almost the size of a billiard ball, tennis ball size. I mean, sling. That thing traveled as they could get that thing wound up 60, 65, 70 miles an hour. Here comes the, here comes the, the stone. Right in the head. And, you, and I, I'm not even going to read the rest of the story because you know the rest of the story. The stone comes right in the head. He falls over. He's down. David comes up, grabs the sword, off with the head. Hey, look at this. Look at this. He's dead. The giant is dead. God has won. And David attributed the victory. He said, all of Israel will know that the Lord brought the victory. It wasn't me. It, wasn't, it was the Lord who brought the victory. And so the power of God to win. And so whatever you're facing, the same power that's available to, to David, the power of the living God, the covenant-keeping God, covenant-making God, is now available to you in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life on Instagram at ProfChurch, or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and be sure to make it a great day.